church is meeting to my left and you're right over in the welcome center. So we'll take just a few moments to transition and while we're doing that, I'll go ahead and call your attention to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. The hymn writer said, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But here's my favorite line in that entire song. But the master, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Amen. Thank God it was his love that lifted us. Matthew chapter 14. If you found Matthew chapter 14, also if you would find verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, the words to the text we'll read will also be on the screen and it's also on the front of your worship guide today as we continue talking about this week about the family. And this week we're talking about the family's adversity. We've talked about the family altar and we've talked about several other aspects life of family because I love being a part of a family. I thank God for my family every day. Is anybody else with me? Amen. And I am so grateful that I'm also a part of the family of God. Believers, washed in the blood, forgiven of our sins. We're not perfect, amen. I had this man in my first church. I'll never forget this. Uh, they told me, he said, he's the meanest man in the community. And so that was a guy I wanted to go see, you know, because I thought, and see, I talked with him. And, and here's, I'll never forget him telling me, he wasn't really mean. I like that. He just, uh, you know, just had some mixed up ideas and, I began to encourage him and his family to come to church and want to share, share the gospel with him. And he just told me, he said, Preacher, I'll tell you when I'll come to church. So I thought, well, he's going to at least give me something to go on here. And here I am, a young 22, 23-year-old pastor, and my first pastor, and he said, I'll come to church up there when you get rid of all the hypocrites. And even then I looked at him, I said, Sir, well, I'm sorry, I guess I'll never see you. He said, what? I said, because, sir, I want you to know I, I don't have the ability to do that. And I said, what you need to understand, and I've learned this more over the last, you know, 28 years, is that the church is not full of perfect people. It's full of imperfect people who've just been forgiven of their sins and are on their way to heaven. They've made a lot of mistakes in the past. They're going to continue to make some mistakes. And it's part of a family. And I don't know about you, when my daughters, when they were growing up, they did something to displease me. I didn't kick them out of the house. They were still my family. I loved them and helped them correct it and move forward. And that's what's great about being part of a family of faith. And sadly, I, I believe that man is way on up in his years today. And still, I don't know, even today, it crosses my mind from time to time if he has a relationship with the Lord or ever was able. You know, and he would tell me, he said, I, I don't need a church. I can go out there under an oak tree and have church with just me and the Lord. And I want to be honest with you, those are some sweet times. I, I've had, I've worshipped privately, just me and the Lord many times, but I want to tell you this, the more I walk with God, the more I realize I need the fellowship of other believers. We need that for accountability, for encouragement. We need that for so many things. So, you know, don't ever discount the need for it. So when we talk about the family, yes, we are talking about your family, my family. But we're talking about the family of faith, too, that desperately needs God's help in these difficult days that we're living in. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, if you found your place physically able, let's stand together in honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God. Matthew 14, 22, this is probably a very familiar passage to you as a student of scripture. 
But I tell you, the longer I study scripture, the more I realize that there's so much each time I read it fresh. Here's what the word of God says, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side when he sent, while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the midst, middle of the sea and tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Reckon that was some good words for them. Amen. Verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. When Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said oh you of little faith why did you doubt when they got in the boat the wind ceased and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God father in Jesus name I pray that you would speak mildly to our hearts today and God you would help us to be faithful to that which you've called us all to do Father, I pray today that the word of God would speak to our hearts. I pray that the spirit of God would convict us of sin. And I pray, God, that your glory would be manifest among your people today. Thank you for what we've been a part of thus far. Father, I pray now that you'll do what only you can do. You'll use your word to draw your net and to bring many sons and daughters to glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today we've talked about a lot of things over the past several weeks pertaining to the family as our homes and also as the body of Christ. We realize that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must show evidence of a changed life. We must show evidence of spiritual growth. And we know that there must be personal brokenness in our lives as we follow God and have evidence of a spirit-controlled life. Today I want to talk to you about the family's adversity because as a family and as individuals, we all face adversity as part of this life. There are many trials and storms that are sure to come our way. And just a moment ago, I read to you the scripture from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, and in those verses that I read, we can clearly see that there are some very interesting events that were unfolding in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He had just completed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which has always been amazing to me how God could just take five loaves and two fish and put it in the hands of the master and feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. They tell us that that could have been as many as 15 to 20,000 people that were fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. It really depends on whose hands you put it in, amen? See, because Jesus was fully God and yet fully man, 
We can tell by the wording of verses 22 and 23 that we read a moment ago that he was physically tired and in need of some quiet time with his father. We see many times in scripture of evidence of his humanity when he would be physically tired and hungry. We see evidence of his need to be with a father here and other places. Mark chapter one, verse 35 through 39 gives us that same story of how Jesus made time to be with the father. But still, even though he was physically weak, he still shows himself to be strong as he teaches his disciples a valuable lesson that they and all followers of Christ must apply to our lives. So for the next little bit, we're going to take a little journey together and we're going to walk through this very familiar episode or event in scripture with Jesus and his disciples and we're going to discover how they faced tremendous adversity. We're going to see how they faced trials and we're going to see how that we too can face them by life, by faith and find victory in Jesus. The first thing I want you to notice in scripture today is in verses 22 through 27 as we recommend the world to get away from the presence of the Lord. But friend, we know that scripture teaches us that there is no place under the sun where you are not under the watchful eye of our sovereign creator, amen? So Jonah, he, he, he experienced a correcting storm, one that is meant to bring us back into the will of God. Now, you may have experienced some of those. I know I have. At times when it may not be that you were doing anything terribly sinful or wrong, but you were just deviating a little bit into a zone of comfort to where you got real comfortable and you got real warm and you got all, all, all together and, and, and God allowed you to be there for a little bit, but he began to stir your nest to bring you back into his perfect will. Not only with correcting storms, but there are perfecting storms. And a perfect example of that is how we see right here in Scripture, he's taking his disciples through a perfecting storm to teach them more about how to follow him and follow his will. So with that in mind, let's talk about the obedience of these disciples. Even though they found themselves in the midst of a terrible storm, it is very true that they were safer in the storm and in God's will than they would have been on the land with the crowds and out of God's will. How do we know they were in God's will? Well, the scripture is real clear. Jesus made the disciples to get in the boat. Jesus was the one that put them in the boat. So he put them in there and he said this. He said, get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. They were in a boat that Jesus put them on. So how in the world did a storm show up if Jesus put them on the boat? Well, in, in the words of uh, the great hymn uh, Lynn Anderson made popular, I, he never promised you a rose garden, amen? Uh, no, listen to me. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, put them on a boat and here they are in a storm. See, God uses three things to grow his people spiritually. Now, these are not on the screen, but you might want to remember this, okay? And remember, a dull pencil is better than a sharp mind, okay? Three things that God uses to grow us spiritually. One is he uses problems. We all have them. We can't escape them. The second thing he uses is persecution. He uses problems 
and he uses persecution. That's not something we enjoy. I don't know any Christian that wakes up in the morning and says, God, I hope that I experience intense persecution today. No, you don't have to pray for it. It'll come. Because if you're walking with God against in this world that we're living in, you will experience this. He uses problems, he uses persecution, and he uses people. What have I told you many times over about people? Everybody that comes into your life comes in your life to be what? Hey, man, we, we're getting somewhere, Marty. People come into your life and they're either going to be a blessing or a lesson. Amen? They're either going to affect your life for good or for bad. But regardless, even those that come to be a lesson, God brings something good out of it because he grows you into being more like Jesus and trusting him in his will for your life. So never forget that. God uses problems, God uses persecution, God uses people to grow us spiritually. See, these disciples were in a storm because they obeyed Christ and they had to be perfected. They were being tested in a way they had never been tested before. Well, you know what was happening? Uh, Jesus had sent them out in this storm before. He had done it in the past. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, we read where Jesus put them in a boat in a storm and went down in the bottom and went to sleep. He was on the boat with them this time, but now he was testing them by being outside of the boat. The first time he was in the boat, they woke him up and said, don't you care, we're about to die. And he got up and he went up on the bow of the ship and said, peace be still, and the wind and the water ceased. And they looked and said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey his voice? That's the kind of Savior that you and I serve. See, while they were on the ship facing the storm, Jesus was on the mountain praying for them. You ever thought about that? He wasn't with them physically, but he was right there with them all along. And even today, we must realize some things. We must realize that our Lord feels the burdens that we feel. He feels the difficulties that we go through. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 reminds us that he is our great high priest. Verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You know what that means? He sympathizes with our weakness. I know men, we don't like to admit that we've got weaknesses, but we do. I've told y'all all along, you can take me to a liquor store and I'm not tempted to buy one bottle. You can take me to a casino and I'm not tempted to pull one one-armed bandit not one round of poker, not one game of blackjack. But if you swing me by the Krispy Kreme, I have a problem. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I have a real problem. So we all have weaknesses, don't we? So I realize that, but that's what the Bible teaches us about Jesus. We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. But he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Aren't you glad to know that not only does he know what you're going through, he provides a place and a person for you to come and put your petition before a holy God that he might take you through the perfecting storms to make you more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's good stuff. I don't care what anybody says. I'm thankful. Right now he's in heaven, he's interceding for you according to scripture, he sees your needs. 
He knows your fears. Whether you believe it or not, he's in control of your situation. You today may be facing a trial where you feel that Jesus is nowhere near your boat. But I want you to hear me. Just follow the example of these disciples and be faithful to get in the boat anyhow. Be faithful to do what he commands and let the world see that as a child of God, you can learn to face your trials by faith. That was the obedience of the disciples, but notice the appearance of Jesus. During the most fierce time of the storm, during the darkest time of the night, the fourth watch of the night from three o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the morning, Jesus appears. He's walking on the water and he's not walking away from them. He's walking straight toward them. You know, I'm confident to believe today that Jesus always comes to us in the storms of our lives. He may not come when we think he should. Remember Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus? Where have you been? I've heard that a time or two as a pastor. <laughs> where have you been? And I thought if I told you, you couldn't keep up. But it's a, where have you been? If you would have been here, Jesus, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, show me the tomb. Has anybody read this in John chapter 11? If you have, you got some Holy Ghost goosebumps going up your spine right now. Listen here. Show me the tomb. Show me where they laid him at. It wasn't that he didn't know. He just went, he went up there. He says, oh, Father, I want you to be glorified. Listen here. If he would have showed up before Lazarus would have died, sure, he could have kept him alive. But because he showed up four days late, because he showed up after he died, and he already stinketh. <laughs> That's what the scripture said. It brought greater glory to God through the resurrection of him from the dead than it ever would have been for the preservation of his life. Oh, God, help us to remember that. He doesn't always show up when we want him to, but he always shows up just when we need him most. He waited till the ship was as far as land, from land as possible. All human hope was gone. He was testing the disciples' faith to the point of removing every human prop. When I think about these things, I think about how God took me through a perfecting storm. I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I just got comfortable. August of 2014, we had a tremendous time, men's conference there when I was passing in Rome, Georgia. And I stepped off the platform that night, Marty, I said, Lord, I'm finally there. I did this right. I said, Lord, I am there. I know I am right where you're going to let me serve the rest of my ministry. I'm there. I've weathered the storms, and brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, there were some heavy-duty storms. I, I've, I've taken the bites of the wolves and I've taken the bullets and, and, and your glory just fell in this conference and men have been lights, lives have been changed and, and God, God, you're just doing some great things. You've got me right where you want me. I'm glad I'm there and I'm gonna spend the rest of my life right here. Oh, that was the dumbest thing I ever said. Because from that day, 
I don't even think it took 24 hours, right? David, from that day, God began to take every prop, every prop, Everything I was leaning on, my wife witnesses, she knows I'm telling the truth. Everything I was leaning on, all the good things and all the things that meant so much to me, God began to take those away. And I experienced betrayal and I experienced from people that I trusted and loved so much. I experienced so many things and it broke my heart. And I could not understand why God was pulling all these props out from under me. I learned real quick what it was is he had another assignment for me and I didn't want to do it y'all ever been there never been there maybe God called you out of the pew into leading a Sunday school class and you're like I'm not doing that that might mean I have to be too committed they'll expect me to be here every Sunday Maybe God's called you to serve in some capacity of ministry, even the local church, and, and you're reluctant because it's going to make you vulnerable. It's going to mean you have to grow yourself and mean you have to study yourself and mean you have to get stronger yourself and more faithful yourself to get people to follow where you're leading them. And we're so reluctant to do what God calls us to do. And I've been there and you've been there. And you might be there right now if you are. Let me help you. Quit fighting. <laughs> Just surrender. Because I want to tell you, it is a painful correcting storm when God is calling you out of the pew and into the service of the kingdom and you are just comfortable to say, you know what, Lord, my preacher's pretty fired up. I'll just feed off his fire. You know what God wants to do? He wants to build a fire in you so others can be blessed by your fire and you can, God can build a fire in them and we can just have a whole bunch of fired up people. <laughs> God help us. We need that so bad. And when you just determine to hold on and I said, but God, I've been through this and but God, I've been through that and but God, they need me and but God, this person. And next thing I knew, God was saying, no, son, what you really need to remember is I sent my son to the cross for you. And I want you to do what he says. Wow. He took away every problem. Why didn't they recognize Jesus? Have you ever thought about this? Jesus comes walking on the water. You would think they've been with him three and a half years. They just watched him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and all sorts of things. Why didn't they recognize him? Do you know why they didn't recognize him in the storm? Because they weren't looking for him. <laughs> Instead of crying out to him in faith, they cried out in fear. And friend, I want you to know something today. You'll not see Jesus coming to your rescue if you're not looking for him. You'll not see him coming if you're just coward in faith you will only see him coming when you're looking in faith, in, in faith and not fear see fear and faith cannot live in the same heart and fear always blinds our eyes to the presence of the Lord let's move on a little bit let's go past the encountering of the storm and let's talk about the invitation of the Savior what happened here what old Peter do there in verse 28 and 29 verse 28 and 29 he says I'll tell you what Lord if it's you you to bid me to come 
You see, Peter takes a step of faith there in verses 28 and 29. Peter was, we known to be a very aggressive, stubborn, and bullheaded disciple, wasn't he? He, he was like a lot of us. We're more stubborn than we want to admit. We're, we're more bullheaded than we want to admit. He was always the first to speak up. Whether you like Peter or not, or not, I want to tell you something. I look forward to meeting him in heaven. You know why? Because he didn't believe in living the passive life. Too many people are just passive when it comes to Christianity. They're not passive about anything else. When it comes to Christianity, they're just passive. Here's why he dared to be different. So when Jesus invited Peter to come, he stepped out of the boat. He, he, he demonstrated faith in a real way. I love the song The Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns. It's probably my all-time favorite and it has a verse in there where it talks about this very thing. Mark Hall wrote, he said, oh, what I would do to have the kind of faith that it takes to step out of this boat and onto the crashing waves, to step out of my comfort zone into the rim of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand. But the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me. Reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed. Oh, the waves they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth. Anybody grateful to God for the voice of truth this morning? But the voice of truth tells me a different story. And see, Satan is a liar. We talked about Sunday school this morning. Fear is a liar. And because fear and faith do not abide in the same house and Satan is the author of fear, it is the voice of truth that tells us a different story. It is the voice of truth that tells us do not be afraid. It is the voice of truth that tells us that this is for God's glory. Of all the voices that are calling out to us, we must choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. Wow. And then Peter also in verses 30 and 31, he's overcome by fear. We often hear folks criticize him a lot for sinking, don't we? Yeah, we do. Every time I read that story, though, I think about Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. You ever thought about that? Uh, yeah, he began to sink. He began to look at the storm. He began to see the wind and the thunder and the lightning just like we do. But I want you to know anybody can sit in the boat and watch. It's always amazed me to go to you know, any sporting event. You always got these guys up there. Well, you should have done this and you should have done that. And I told this guy a few years ago sitting beside me, I said, I don't know if you ever remember this or not, but it's a whole lot harder down there than it is up here. Amen? It really is. It's a whole lot harder to block that guy in front of you down there in the grass than it is from the stands, I tell you. There's a whole lot of people love to sit in the boat and watch. It happens in the church a lot. I want you to know God never called anybody to salvation that he didn't call them to serve in some capacity. God has called everybody to serve because God has given everybody a gift. And I don't know what yours is, and, but I know God does, and whatever it is, you should ask him and you should seek his face and you should certainly not be content to sit in the boat and just enjoy the cruise because when the storm comes, somebody's got to row that boat to safety. 
It takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on water. I don't care what anybody says. And I want you to know today, church, God is calling his church to come. God is calling his people to get out of the boat because too many Christians are content to ride the boat. R. Kent Hughes calls them ecclesiastical hitchhikers. <laughs> it's a fancy word for church hitchhiker. And here's what he's saying. There's so many people that are just content to say, hey, you know what? You buy the car, you buy the insurance, you buy the gas, and we'll just ride, ride, ride. But when you have a wreck or we run out of gas, all that, I'm going to find me another ride. Listen to me. The church is not a place to just ride the boat. It is an army that God has called us to serve in to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you today, when you look at Peter's story and you see how he walked and even though he sank, you've got to remember this. To get to where God is leading us, we must be certain that we will encounter some rough water. Wow. Storms of life are necessary. They're never easy but they teach us dependence on Christ. Notice when we find today, if you will, the deliverance of the disciples. I love these last two verses. Well, they just, amazing what happens. See, as God's children, we can be certain that when God calls us to step into the rough waters of testing and trial, we may fail along the way. But in the end, God will succeed in accomplishing his intended purpose with our life. I don't know if any of y'all have ever experienced failure before, but I know I have. I've experienced a lot of failure along the way. I've experienced a lot of things that didn't work out the way I wanted them to or even thought that they might. I've done things before in ministry that people would say, well, I thought more folks would have showed up or I thought this would have happened or I thought that would have happened. And yeah, there was times... I've experienced times of great blessing and victory, but I've also experienced times of tremendous failure, and, and it's no fun, but God always accomplishes his purpose. What was his purpose? Well, the first thing is they witnessed a miracle. Did you see that? They'd just seen 5,000 people fed. That was pretty big. And now they were about to see Jesus walking on water. They witnessed him not only walking on water, but once he got back in the boat, they witnessed that he calmed another storm. You see, all that mattered to them now was that Jesus was in the boat. I don't know about you if I'm on the boat. I was thinking about taking a cruise one time, and then somebody sent me this YouTube video, and there was this cruise ship that was rocking so bad. The forks and knives and cups were coming off the table, and there was these huge waves coming over the top of the ship, and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll just not do that, amen. <laughs> I'll do that. No, but if I was in a situation like that and Jesus came walking on the waves and sat down on the ship and the water ceased, you know, that's really all that would matter. I was reading this week and I shared with our men in the prayer room this morning something I read just recently that really spoke to my heart. In 2003, a man named Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. It was the big book going around. It was a secular book. It was about business and all that kind of stuff, but it had a lot of principles that could be applied to the work of ministry. But just recently in the past few years, Chip Ingram wrote a book called Good to Great in God's Eyes. The book title caught my attention because I thought, you know what? Jim Collins taught us that good is the enemy of great. Sometimes we can just get satisfied with good when we need to be doing things that are great when it's so true with ministry. So Chip Ingram wrote this and here's something he said in this book that really spoke to my heart about what I've shared with you in this week. 
He said, I want to suggest that every Christian's life is marked by windows of opportunity that demand a radical step of faith in order to follow Christ and fulfill his purposes for their life. Means all of us are going to get to the edge one day. God's really going to say, Will you take this step? The difference between good and great is not a matter of knowledge or pedigree, but a willingness to take a radical step of faith. This could be for you personally, this could be for us corporately. What makes a step of faith radical is that it always involves significant risk. In nearly every aspect of your relationship with him, the Lord will bring you to the edge of a decision at which point you'll have to decide whether to leap in the direction he's calling you or pull back into a place that seems safe. Where there is no risk, there is no faith. Where there's no faith, there's no power or joy or intimacy with God. So what are you going to do when you come to the edge of your place of risk? Where God gives you the window of opportunity to follow him, will you take the leap or will you just retreat back into a zone of comfort because it's safe there? Well, notice with me finally in verse 33 how they worship the master. Look what happened. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased, verse 32. And verse 33 says, And then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You see, when they saw the awesome display of Christ and his power, they could only be drawn to bow down and worship him. And I want you to know that's the goal of every person who shares the gospel. Every preacher who walks to a platform in a pulpit today, every singer who sings the songs uh, that glorify the name of God, our total purpose should always be that we would help you to see how awesome God is and that you could only respond by bowing down and worshiping him. I, I'll never forget, I had this minister of music one time. He, he always loved to be a little contrary and, and uh, not like Marty. Oh, Marty, good old Marty, but yeah. And so one time we were talking about worship this week. He said, preacher, I just need to know one thing. He said, do you want me to get people on their feet or to bow down before God? I said, both. He said, what do you mean? I said, I believe whether we're on our feet glorifying God or whether we're bowed down in the presence of God, whether it's a hymn, psalm, or a spiritual song, I believe in either case, if we will just bring glory to God through the worship of Jesus Christ, then we will have accomplished the purpose for which we've gathered. Amen? It's not either or, it's both and. So through this storm, Jesus prepared his disciples for some further trials. But you know what? They had some bigger tests coming. Adrian Rogers said this, peace is not living without storms. Peace is facing the storms of life with Jesus in your boat. Now here's a question today. It's not a matter of if, but when our storms come. Adrian also said this, he said you're Life is a process. You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or you're headed towards your next storm. That's encouraging, isn't it? No, but it's true. So when you come to your storm, will you come to your storm in the will of God or out of the will of God? 
And in your storm, will you find Jesus because you're looking for him? Or will you not find him because you retreated in fear? And ultimately, will you see him manifest his power in the rescue and thank God for the rescue? Will you be faithful to bow down and worship him? You know, it's amazing to me what the disciples said. They said, truly, you are the son of God. You know what it reminded me of, David? There's another man that said that in Scripture. This man was not a disciple. This man was a centurion at the crucifixion of Jesus. And after he witnessed the agony and the death that Jesus went through, he says, truly, this man is the Son of God. You see, that's our goal in everything we do here today is to lift up the name of the Son of God that you might be drawn to him and might realize no he may not show up right when you expect him to but he will show up and when he shows up if you're looking for him you'll have no trouble recognizing his presence pray with me Father in Jesus name I want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for how it challenges me to remember where I am and where I need to be. How it challenges me to remember the times in my journey. There were times, Father, I did just like some of these disciples. I allowed the tendency to retreat in fear to overcome me. There were times, Lord, that I didn't know which way to go or which end was up. There were times that fear was so powerful that I, like them, didn't see you coming because I wasn't looking for you. But Father, I'm grateful that through these years you've taught me that. You've allowed those perfecting storms draw me more to your will you, you've allowed correcting storms when I would deviate and I would drift into a zone of comfort Lord you, you've always been faithful to send something to stir the nest and shake me up and Lord I'm confident that you're doing that with all your children because you love us, you care for us you want your very best for us Father in this worship center today I'm sure there are folks dealing with fear fear of the unknown fear of what's next and Lord as they are dealing with that I pray that they could find comfort in knowing that you sympathize with our weaknesses Father they realize that I alone with them traveling that same journey oh Lord my experiences in the past few years have caused me to be concerned and to the point of worry about what's next and I'm sure many of us are in that same boat but Lord at this invitation time I pray God that those who are struggling with fear would find peace and comfort in the name of Jesus Christ 
God, that the people of God would realize that an altar is a place of sacrifice where we can just pour our hearts out to you. We can gather as individuals and as a church body and just call out to you to fix us, to shape us how you want us to be. And Father, for those here today that yet to know you, may they realize that they'll never have any freedom or victory over fear until they submit to your Lordship, until they repent of their sins and trust you as Savior. God, today, may that be the day for someone here today that desperately needs a relationship with you. Oh, God, I pray that you would just let your glory fall at this invitation time. God, that you would rescue people who are headed to hell. God, you'd restore those who drifted away your glory would be evident in this place. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. Marty's going to lead us here in just a moment. I want you to hear me. Whatever you need from the Lord, I believe he is faithful to answer those who call upon him and I want to plead with you to come to Jesus today, especially if you don't know him or, or you've got any decision you need to make. I just pray you'll make it for the glory of God. We're here to receive you. As Marty leads us, you come. Lead us when you're ready, Marty.
this morning. Sing it with all your heart, church. section for anything, trunk or treat or any of that kind of stuff or if you have any questions about any of the things we talked about in announcements please come by the welcome center or out front somebody will be glad to help you with that and if you have any prayer requests, praise reports, anything you'd like for us uh, to put on the wall in our war room for prayer, prayer requests you can use that tear off section for that too and uh, drop that in the plate when it comes around but it is a joy to give as always I'm grateful to God to, to give because, uh, you know, when I was younger and was learning and had to learn as an adult to be a giver, um, you know, it was a little tough because I, I was kind of, and I remember me and Angie learning this little process and we were young, married. But I'll tell you, the longer we've served him, the old song says, the sweeter he grows. And giving has just become just part of who we are and not just in the tithes and offerings but of our life. For the glory of God. So I want to encourage you as you give today. Here's some things that it, it, it shows. One is that you're just dependent on God. That he's in charge. All of us might. We can have everything we think we need. But it can all be pulled out from under us tomorrow. We need the Lord to be our, the one we're dependent on. And it also demonstrates to God how much you trust him. He said in the scripture that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. And I really believe that. And I believe all of my heart that. I used to tell the Lord when I was young, I didn't think I could afford to, but I learned I couldn't afford not to be obedient. Amen? Because obedience is the key, and you'll go a lot further with obedience to God than you will on your own wisdom. I guarantee you that. So as we give today, remember that you're a part of something hell itself can't stop, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're a part of a missions-giving church that not only invests in what we do here on this property, but much beyond uh, in missions and ministry locally and regionally and, and, and nationally and globally. So as you give today, just know what you're a part of. You're a part of a mission that honors God. So let's just join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on our giving today.
por sus puertas con acción de gracia, por sus atrios con alabanza, alabarle, bendecir tu nombre, porque Jehová es bueno. Que tenía el hermano Kenches, un programa por la radio, escuchamos esto, pues yo mandé una carta, ya lo recibieron por allá y yo, yo lo oí en el radio y entonces ya dijo que iban a venir y tomó él, oró por nosotros y dijo, recibimos pues, la palabra de Dios y, y seguimos en eso nosotros, muy gozosos así. Un poquito más de 20 años que estamos subiendo para acá las montañas, que el Señor me trajo a este lugar por medio de un programa de radio. El camino al llegar aquí a las lagunas es muy peligroso. Yo estando niño de dos años, me pegó una enfermedad de la polio. Pues no podía caminar. Y un día una persona me regaló un patín. De esa manera yo me muevo. Y es un reto grande que tengo de llevar el evangelio por allá. Para las cosas de Dios no nos impide nada. Ellos estaban muy necesitados de Dios. Cuando llegó esa bendición de operación de una Navidad, pues fue una gran bendición porque los niños nunca habían tenido un regalo. Estuvieron muy felices cuando recibieron aquel regalo y, y aquella palabra que ellos aceptando a Cristo como su Salvador fue una bendición para ellos. Tengo los tres nietos aquí y ahí participan en el estudio todos los tres. Los niños tuvieron sus enseñanzas, sus dos elecciones, les dimos un certificado, se graduaron y tuvimos una fiesta. Cuando llegó el Evangelio, un cambio para cada una de las familias. Han recibido a Cristo en su corazón. Esta es otra generación. Han salido generaciones. El evento de la inauguración de la iglesia estuvo precioso, estuvo muy bonito. Eh, jamás habíamos tenido esta bendición. Orando a Dios por mucho tiempo por una casa de oración. 28 años que escuché la palabra de Dios, no pensaba que iba a haber una casa de oración aquí en este lugar, pero hoy ya estoy viendo esto y, y me siento contento. Para mí es una preciosa bendición, porque esto es lo que esperábamos. Puedo yo ver como un cuartel para preparar a niños, a jóvenes, a hermanos, para llevar el Evangelio a otros lugares. Dios está haciendo cosas grandes, preciosas, aquí en este pueblo. Y este lugar va a ser pionero para llevar el Evangelio a otros lugares. Did you hear one line in there early? Said, when the gospel arrived, every family changed. That's what happens when the gospel shows up. Amen. You're going to change. I'll never forget being in Mexico years ago, and there was a young lady who was a Word of Life missionary saying, to God be the glory in Spanish. And I, I use one of those chill, Holy Ghost chill bump deals, man. I tell you, nothing, I never will forget that. Her just at the top of her lungs singing to God be the glory, knowing that when she left that conference, she was going back to a little uh, 
church like what you saw in the video. No walls, just the top, and uh, just praise God with everything that was in them. And I tell you, it just means a lot. You see that man carrying the gospel on a scooter. Can't get around, can't walk, but he's not letting it stop him because he believes the gospel is that important. Amen? And I know today, I believe with all of my heart that just like he's demonstrating, the gospel is that important. And it's still that important in America. If not so, more so than any point in our lifetime, the gospel is very important in this culture we're living in. So don't forget that. And thank you for your gifts to Operation Christmas Child. Thank you in advance for the boxes. I know you'll pick up and fill up and have back here by November 7th. Thank you for investing in those that we don't know that they might know him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Choir's going to practice 4.30 today. Don't forget that. And it's going to be a great afternoon, I know. But listen to me. Don't forget. I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Amen. Amen. Then you sing one, sing us out, Marty.